This episode is brought to you by Appeal, helping you enjoy your fruits and vegetables at peak freshness and reduce food waste. Learn more at appeal.com. The Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture will be hosting their annual Young Farmers and Cooks Conference virtually this year on December 8th through 10th. Programming will cover topics like mutual aid, regional grain economies, land management practices, and much, much more. Whether you're a farmer, cook, butcher, miller, preservationist, processor, or anyone else in the food chain, this conference is for you. Learn more at stonebarncenter.org YFCC. Welcome to Cooking in Mexican from A to Z, a culinary adventure of spirited kitchen-to-table conversations with myself, Aaron Sanchez, and my lovely mother, Sarela Martinez. Cooking in Mexican is a series packed with insights into specific ingredients that are the soul of Mexican cuisine. There will be tips, techniques, quick recipes, and of course, stories that will bring them to life. And in this episode, we want to talk about Chile Colorado. So the chile corrado is a pepper that's utilized in the American Southwest, also in northern Mexican cuisine. When it's fresh, it is sometimes under the name of an Anaheim chile, a hatch. Um, and then when it's dried, it's, it's that very quintessential red chili that you see with a very smooth exterior. Uh, and it's, it's really a definitive pepper that's used in the northern part of Mexico and the Southwest. And mom... I know it's something that's extremely personal to you. Yeah. And uh, what are your thoughts about this very iconic, very northern Mexican? Well, you know, when I, when I was growing up, the only chili that there was was chile colorado. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have anchos and we didn't have guajillos in, in, in the north of Mexico. And this chili, which also goes by the names of, I have to tell you a story about that, mm. also goes by the names of Anaheim, California, New Mexico, some call it a hatch. It's not really found anywhere else. I mean, it's like, you know, here the only place that sometimes has it is is, is fairway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the flavor is the flavor is very kind of mild. Used primarily when you go to the southwest and you see those red enchiladas. Yeah, that's typically the chile that is utilized, right, mom? Yeah, but I, I don't agree with you at all about the mild. Okay. I mean, even even the mild packs that you get in in, in the supermarket in El Paso are hotter than you can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as the grand spectrum of capsicum or heat levels, it's not something that's jarring and very aggressive as, as far as just heat. No, no. And it has, it's kind of floral. Yeah. Without being sweet. And, yeah. it's, uh, and it's earthy. Yep. But, you know, you have, to, you have to work with it a lot to bring out all the flavors and, and deepen the flavors. And that's what we're going to be showing in, in this segment. You know, how all the little stories and, and quips of some of the people that, that we cook with, you know, when yeah. we were growing up. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think it's important to just talk about the chile as it starts before we start really necessarily getting into all the different applications and the dishes that kind of are rendered from this beautiful chile. So someone's out there listening to us right now, wants to procure these ingredients, procure the chile, the chile corrado, right? The yeah. actual pepper. No, um, the actual pepper, yeah. The actual pepper, okay. So they buy it, it's dried. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I I always try to really implore about with whether I'm at home or with the, with the cooks at the restaurants is that just because a chile is dry, 
doesn't mean that it, it won't lose its, intes- uh, its intensity and then actually lose its flavor. It can get brittle. It can get bitter. So when people at home are buying dry chilies in bulk, especially, my recommendation is to buy them, put them in a tight plastic container with a lid, label and date them. Yeah. Because... You know, the last thing you want the, those chilies to become is non-pliable. No, but not only that, they get full of flies and everything. They go bad very, very fast. Yeah. My advice is not to buy them Yeah. in bulk. I mean, my advice is to make use the, the chili in some way and freeze half of the sauce or whatever so that you have it for various uses. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'd like to do instead of... Instead of, of Buying uh, in bulk. Buying in bulk, yeah. And it's also very misleading. Like, if you've ever bought a pound of chiles, it sounds like a very small amount. Yeah. But a pound of chiles is a lot. It's not like, you know what I mean? It's like when you buy corn husk. You know, you're like, let me take five pounds of corn husk. You end up having it for the full year. So it, it's one of those things that you kind of just, you know, to your point, Mom, buy them, uh, not sparingly, but as you're going to use them. Yeah, and you know what? The other thing is that, that people should avail themselves of a mail order yeah because you know it's very hard to find products in in different stores i mean they have it here calustas here for 15 dollars a pound i mean not that much but yeah kind of you know and that fair way they have them too but it's very hard to find this chili so but if, if since we're talking about this particular chili yeah you know you can find anchos and you can find guajillos and you can find all sorts of chilies here but they those people don't mexican markets don't carry this chili yeah the new mexican Chile or the Anaheim or yeah, the, the Chile Corrado. They, they only carry the, the ones used in Southern cooking. And more of the traditional Southern Mexican cooking, right? Not yeah. the Northern stuff. Because no. we're talking about this Chile being utilized a lot in the Northern Mexican style of cooking. Exactly. So if you're out there and you've never worked with these particular dry Chiles or the Chile Corrado, I suggest uh, using some gloves and just really gauge... Uh, its heat level and how it feels in your hand. So, yeah, err on the side of caution and use gloves when you're working with these chiles. So now you got the chiles, right? How are we going to extract their flavor and how are we going to apply it? So the idea is taking them out, taking the seeds out, removing the stems, and then what sometimes, do we do there? Sometimes. Or sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. No, but the thing is that you have to wash them or clean them off with a, with a rag mm-hmm. and then uh, put them on the comal just until until the the smell starts to come out. Mm-hmm. So a comal uh, is is a griddle that's used for many different purposes, whether you're making tortillas or you're toasting chiles. Uh, you know, it could be traditionally sometimes you go to small villages in Mexico and they use them with firewood underneath them. Yeah. But if you don't have a comal at home, you can use a cast iron skillet, yeah, which is ideal, and that will help you toast the chilies and, and really get those essential oils and that smoky flavor profile that you need. You have to be extremely, extremely careful because if even one tiny little bit of the chili burns, you've ruined the whole dish. Mm-hmm. So then after that, you take it and you soak it in hot water mm-hmm. or in chicken stock, which is one of, what one of my people that are from Veracruz taught me how to mm-hmm. do because it really deepens the flavor, but, you know, but it can't be vegetarian or vegan you know, mm-hmm. if you do that. All right, so, so you toast the chiles. The idea is to let those essential oils come out it starts to become fragrant. You, in essence, are reinvigorating the chile. Exactly. And, and, and bringing it back to life exactly. from its dormant state. Exactly. Right? So that goes into boiling hot water or stock, as you said, uh, depending on its application. 
Right. Yeah, but so, you know, some other people toast the chilies and the comal, you know, mm. and they put them, they use them particularly on, on garbanzo soups and bean soups and, and put it on top of the of the dish. And then so when you get it, it's nicely toasted. As far as what, just leaving it whole or Leaving pureed? it whole, oh. whole but, but toasted, you know. I understand. So you use it like a cracker and it's really good. And in, in fact, I use the toasted method a lot, you know, for, for moles. Yep. You know, because it's such a pain to puree all the, those chilies with all the things. Mm -hmm. So, and incorporate it. Yeah. So, what I do is I toast them in the oven until they're really hard, but not burnt, you know, just perfectly aromatic. Mm -hmm. Let them cool, and then puree them in the food processor. Mm -hmm. And then I can incorporate it with the rest of the ingredients and keep on stirring and stirring and stirring and getting all that flavor. Yeah. So, now that we've got it, we've toasted them, we've soaked them. Now... Let's say we want to puree them. So you had mentioned the food processor, but no, no, is no. the blender the ideal tool? Absolutely. You know, the greatest gift you ever gave me was, you know, remember when you were, where you had that naked uh, blender? Ad, ad, yeah, ad. the Vitamix. The Vitamix. I mean, I think that you, that was my favorite ad. There you are sitting there with this big Vitamix. Yep, it was uh, basically the campaign was chefs naked with their blender. And you know how I got paid for that? <laughs> oh, with the blender. blender. Yeah. And I got that blender and I still have the blender. Yeah. I think that if the, in any serious cook, if they're going to get one piece of equipment, it has to be the Vitamix blender. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you can make anything with it and it, it saves so much trouble and, and you know, for especially for moles and pipianes and, and sauces. I'll, and I'll give you a funny little uh, restaurant or industry tricks, a lot of times when you're pureeing things constantly, the Vita Prepper, the actual base of it, the motor, yeah. will overheat and it I will stop that. working. So what we do at the restaurants, we put the actual blender in the walk-in <laughs> to, to cool the whole thing down. Yeah. So it, it will stop working and then we just put it in the walk-in and that will help it get kind of come back to life. <laughs> so, so you, know, you know, I've been working with, with your wonderful scholarship girl She's been, cooking, she's been cooking with me. And she says, why don't you have one of those hand blenders? So they're already, the, the youngest generation doesn't even want to use a blender. Yeah, so, yeah, Jan Torres is um, our first female recipient for the Aaron Sanchez Scholarship Fund, and she actually hails from Puerto Rico. We were so uh, enamored with her that we've actually dipped back into the Puerto Rican pool, and we've, and we've chosen another young lady uh, to be part of the foundation uh, that's from Puerto Rico as well, because she made such a huge impact on us, Jan. So, yeah. All right, so we have the blender. We we pureed this puree. Now, people might at home might think, okay, all right. So, do I do I strain this? Do I keep it whole, uh, and then just kind of live with all the little fragments of the skin? No, 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 no. You're gonna puree it. Usually, the way that I would do it, and your mama would do it, would be to add one or two garlic cloves. I tend to be using less garlic and then Mexican oregano, mm -hmm. which was really a wild marjoram. And you know what you do is that you put the oregano in between your hands mm -hmm. and you rub it like that to release the aroma and you put that in the blender. So, so this is really my mom's recipe. You know, you take like two tablespoons of lard and then one whole garlic clove to, to we have to talk about lard. I know, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, mom. So the idea is that we puree it. So do you take that that mixture of just pure chili and soaking liquid, and do you pass that through a sieve? Well, it depends on what kind of a blender did you use. Okay. See, if you have a Vitamix, you it, you won't have to pass it through a sieve. Okay. But people who you mortals who have the 
Yeah. A regular blender will have to pass it through the sieve, and that is one of the most boring things in the world to do. Yeah. All right. So now that we have just the puree, so when does the oregano and the garlic come into no, play? No, the oregano goes in when you're pureeing it. Okay, gotcha. All right. Okay, so With then, the garlic. Okay. So then you, 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 you brown this garlic clove until it's golden, and then you squash it down. That was my mom's trick to perfume the lard, and you take it out, and then you add, then you add some flour. Mm-hmm. About you know two tablespoons of flour or three, and then you grind it. And remember, Lupus, my favorite anecdote of all, when Lupus was teaching me how to make it, she said, um, "You cook it until it's the color of a cockroach." Mm. And you know, I I always get it right because it's that light brown, whatever it is. So you're talking about the, uh, in the, essence the, a roux. A roux. Yes. Yeah, so you so so in just so we're clear. Yeah. So you you take the garlic. Uh, you put it inside the actual lard, right, yeah. to flavor it, perfume it, yeah. and then you remove that, and then you add your flour to get it like this rust color, or and you're saying in the color of a cockroach. <laughs> and then the idea is then you put in this puree of chile corrado that has oregano and some garlic as well in there. Exactly, and you stir okay. like really hard because it's going to be, it's going to splatter all over. Yeah. So you have to have a cover right there. Mm-hmm. We have to watch it very carefully. You lower the heat, mm-hmm. and then and watch it, uh, watch it carefully. And then after about 15 minutes, it starts getting these little ploppy holes in it. Mm-hmm. That's called you cook it until it's chinita. Yeah, chinita. Yeah. And, and the same and, thing with with uh, beans as well. Yeah. When the lard, it literally the lard rises to the top. Exactly. Okay. And then so then by then the fat has separated, and then your sauce is ready. Mm-hmm. And it, ha- it has many many different uses. Yes. So now that we have this base, so let's just call it a chile corrado base, yeah. right? That's perfumed with beautiful home-rendered lard, uh, a little bit of garlic in there, the aromatic Mexican oregano, which you say is, is more akin to wild marjoram. And then this puree can be sort of applied to many different recipes, right? And techniques. Exactly. All right. So what are some of the more, I guess, well, let's talk about some of the traditional recipes that this is used for. Well, I mean, this would be used for barbacoas, tamales. Mm. You know, at the ranch, we would kill a pig once a year. And the ranch was very big, remember? It had 13,000 hectares. And we had had outposts. And all the ladies that were living there with their cowboy husbands would come into the the big ranch house. And then we would make all sorts of of things. We would make... make, uh, Carne dobada, which mm-hmm. is one thing that this puree can be used. Chorizo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would make chicharrones, tamales, and then one one leg they would get to, to keep on their own. They would distribute it among themselves. Mm. So A leg of pork. One of the legs of pork, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we made tons of tons of stuff. Tons of the carne dobada was particularly very thin slices of uh, pork. of pork, and then with a sauce on it, and then some of the seeds. Mm-hmm. Sprinkle on top, and you would you would put it out in the, in the middle of the day, and then take it down at night because so the dew wouldn't wet them again. Uh-huh. And then that would be used for many different things. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and other types of sausages. Yeah, and to give flavor. I mean, I think probably the best thing that it does. I mean, you, well, you you tell me how you use it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about you know, right now, my my memoirs out where I come from. Um, and one of the recipes that we have featured there is for the traditional chile corrado. And this particular recipe, I think, really speaks to me because I live with, you know, Tio Mario, my Mario Alonso, who 
was married to your sister Aida, which we we very affectionately called Tia Gringa, uh-huh. and my tío Mario, who I live with now, was married to my tía Gringa, so it was her second husband, and he's a great cook in his own words and in his own mind. But one of the things he makes that's very delicious is his chile corrado. So when I'm traveling on the road, as I do over 200 days a year, I ask him to make that. So when I come home and I get out of the car, I can start smelling that simmering pot of chile corrado. You say, well, anticipation is so important. That's why I hate su- surprise parties. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, like, I like to look forward to things. Yeah. Yeah, well, remember when your mamá used to come in? Yeah. To tell the first thing I would say is, ah, mami, ask me to enchiladas. My mom yeah. used to make this great enchiladas sonora style, which means that they were not rolled. Yep. You know, she would make the sauce, but she liked to use Santa Cruz chili powder from Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I could see why. Because you didn't have to use a blender and, and mm-hmm. you know, she just always added vinegar. Yeah. So that yeah, in some of those, you would add vinegar. Yeah, and, and to, to Mema's point, it, she hated when you surprised her. Yeah. So you had to call ahead because she wanted to put her makeup on. She wanted to have the right gown on or right clothing on so she could be presentable. And that yeah. was that's very Mexican old school. So I think you've adopted that that custom and, and that thought process. So um, I'd like to look good, baby. I know that. You always do, mommy. Oh. So, so, yeah, the chili corrado base. I have to tell them a story okay. about, about looking good. When, when, when you were, do you remember when you were little, how crazy I used to dress? Mm-hmm. And, yep. and you would the, go to Betsy Johnson and you would, you would uh, knit like little patches on your jean, your jean uh, jackets and things like that, made your own, own cool clothes. Yeah, no, even the, Wall Street, even the women's wear daily wrote something about it. Mm-hmm. But the, I would ask the, I would ask you. How could uh, they not? Of course. I would ask you, is this too much, honey? Yeah. No, mom, you look beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. And I yeah. go to walk out of there feeling very confident. Yes. And I remember uh, you going to PTA meetings with full lace on and your cleavage <laughs> hanging out. And uh, the horror that a young person felt. Were <laughs> uh, you ashamed? Not at all. But yeah, actually, I was. But uh, I don't blame you, but you never said anything about it, which course. is what's, that's what's you so know, great. You never make a woman feel awkward about how she looks. That's one thing that you've always taught me. Yeah. Um, women should be celebrated in all their beauty and their imperfections. So, <laughs> You've become a philosopher. You're becoming a philosopher. No, I'm telling you, I mean, you, that lesson you taught me is, is uh, just fabulous. I mean, you changed my whole philosophy of life. Or, well, not changed it, but added to it. That, yeah. time, that time that you got there late, that we were having family dinner, and you got there late. And I was really upset, and Rodrigo said, you're not going to talk to my brother like that. I said, whose business is this of yours? This is between Aron and me. And you went over to me and said, Mom, I'm late. There's nothing I can do about it now. So why don't you just go get a drink and sit down and relax, and everything's going to be just fine. Yeah. So now I added to my philosophy of life, can I do something about it? If I can, I do, and if I can't, I yeah. ignore it. I mean, that's what I've done with this Parkinson's of mine. Yeah. Well, and also for me, it's been very helpful that attitude, obviously finding Buddhism as well and being married in a Buddhist ceremony and understanding the importance of having balance and harmony in your life. I think, you know, you can't sweat the small stuff all the time, but you also need to yeah. in, in a weird way. But it really is, you know, I, I don't think I could, I could be as productive and as multifaceted as I, I am if I don't 
put things in perspective. You know what I mean? Like what do you mean? Like just not letting everything affect me so intensely. You I know? know. So I always try to work with preparation and get to get to appointments early. Uh, Kate has a really great ability not to show up early to things, but she's working on it. Because um, I like to be there. <laughs> I like to be there on time to to anticipate any hiccups. Yeah, me too. And I think that's extremely important. It's also very respectful when you show up on time. I know. Because you're you're demonstrating that this is the most important thing to you, and it's it, it's really just a reflection of many different parts of one's one's being. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Here at HRN, we care about reducing waste across our food system, from farms to home kitchens. We know that about half of the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We all want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruits and vegetables. Because here's the thing, less waste doesn't just mean we're throwing less food away. It also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Appeal works with nature to reduce waste across the food system from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing need. Appeal. Food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. So, the chile corrado, you know, if I were to give it to you into some more contemporary ways that I've used this puree, yeah. and that makes a lot of sense that, is let's say that I was, I was braising short ribs, right? Uh-huh. Which is very traditional, you know, French style where you're searing the boneless short ribs, uh, aggressive seasoning you remove those you have all those crispy bits on the bottom of your rondeau or your your, your pan you want to you want to pick that up with mirepoix right onions mm. carrots and celery maybe you put some aromatics like thyme in there and garlic and bay leaves and all that good stuff and then you're picking that up then you add your tomato paste and then you cook the tomato paste out you add your red wine put your stock in there and then put your short ribs back in there and braise that right mm. two and a half three hours till they're falling off the bone succulent melt in your mouth right yeah so once i strain that liquid then i would add that puree to that liquid oh that's a good idea so now it's reinforced with that chili corrado flavor that's the last and that's the last flavor you get yeah so then that will be the finishing sauce for those beautiful short ribs your mama always finished off practically all dish all dishes with a a garlic clove crushed and salt and she would add it to the guisado or a soup or sauce so you always had that raw garlic flavor Mm -hmm. in it yeah, and it's interesting how, how a cook's palate changes over time. Oh, completely. Uh, yeah, and it's, you know, I think, you know, you always tell that story. When you were starting out, your food was considered very revolutionary and kind of new yeah. and modern. And then now, it, towards the latter part of the restaurant's life, your food became very traditional. Yeah. You know, and I think that's very interesting and a very cool point of view to think of things. You know, and I think when I was starting out, I wanted to do what like Enrique Olovera is doing at Cosme and to try to reinterpret and, and modernize Mexican food. And then now as I've gotten older as a chef, I started to gravitate towards Mema's cooking and, and grandma's kitchens. And that food is more appealing to me now. 
Yeah. As opposed to 20 years ago when you know, when I started really cooking professionally. Yeah, well, that's good. It made me so happy. I remember I used to mm. say, I love my mother's food, but she doesn't like mine. Yeah. It, well, you're kind of a pain in the ass. Well, but, that's you know, right. but I'm just a, exacting. You know, the, the, the thing is that I think that you have to bring out the best out of, the, out of this uh, food that you're cooking with. Yeah. And you have to have layers of flavor, and you have to, it has to taste like one thing when you taste it, then when you're chewing, and then at the end it should bloom in your, in your palate. Yeah, well, that's what also the pleasure of working with Gordon Ramsay, that, you know, obviously he has a very high standard, and he can be abrasive at times, but what I've learned from him is exactly that, to be very measured and calculated in your cooking and everything that you do. I just remember the story when, when we used to go out, you know, to the restaurants and you would instruct the waiters, you know, about how they had to serve the food because you didn't want to ruin the night. But you would say, Mom, you're so abrasive. Yeah, because then, she, no, you would say this, like we'd go out, my poor brother and I, we'd have Sunday <laughs> dinner and she goes, I'm in the restaurant business. <laughs> and then when she would say that, we would like abscond and run to the bathroom. And she'd be there by herself uh, uh, critiquing this man's technique of serving and service. And I was like, oh, my God. No, so he'd get, get to the point where he'd go to the restaurant and he'd say, we want to have a very nice uh, dinner tonight. So let me just give you some of the ground rules. My mother hates overpouring. Why? So, so please, you know. Don't overpour. Just leave the bottle. We'll do, take care of it. And don't and, rush her. And don't rush me. Yeah. And also serve the food in the exact order that I ordered it. And also she likes the crusty bits of the bread. <laughs> the dark part. So it's just like, you know what I mean? Like, I, we, if we were smart back then, we would have had like a printout. And we should have just <laughs> we could have handed it to him <laughs> on the way in. So he knew what, what was in store instead of it coming as a complete surprise. But uh, no, you did your best, and you were extremely, <laughs> you were extremely unique in that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, the chile corrado, beautiful. I think it's one of those staple uh, recipes and ingredients that really speak to a particular part of of, of the way you grew up, yeah. and one of those techniques and ingredients that I just love today. Well, let's let's see. We have this. Let me some hints. When you have sauce left over, put some in a in a ice thing to an ice to make ice, and save the little cubes in individual plastic bags, so you can take it out to add seasoning to a dish, you know, last minute. All right. So so just to clear, you would take the the puree, chi- the puree and then freeze it in ice cube. Forms. Yeah. And then you would have that, and then you can add that to particular recipes for flavor. Yeah, for flavor. That's a good recipe. And that's a good. That's a good tip. Excuse so me. when you when you have this puree, it's just going to be a puree. It's not going to be the salsa yet. Exactly. So you so you can either make it vegetarian, and add water, mm-hmm. and then adjust the seasonings, and at the end add that crushed garlic that my mom did, mm-hmm. or do it with chicken stock, which is what I what I would do because I, I cook everything in chicken stock. Mm-hmm. You know, because it adds another layer of flavor. Yeah. Well, I think I think uh, one of the things that I really would love people to embrace is this idea of this chile. Seek it out. Find out all of its magical properties. Utilize it in recipes. Hopefully here on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z, we've given you some insights. And also the stories that really bring to life what is this ingredient that we feel so strongly and passionate about. So please... Stay tuned. 
We're going to be uh, revisiting other um, ingredients down the road. I'm sure a lot of them will be familiar, and some may not. So we thank you for joining Sarela Martinez, myself, Aaron Sanchez, in Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. Muchísimas gracias. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Yeah.